Hello and welcome to the Macrofab Engineering Podcast. We're your hosts, Parker Dolan. And Stephen Craig. This is episode 67. If you enjoy listening to the MEP, please let others know about us. Tell your coworkers, your friends, your family, loved ones, and share it on social media at Macrofab or follow us on Facebook. I think we have an Instagram as well. Uh, yeah, yeah, we do. Yeah. Probably at Macrofab. Probably, something like that. Yeah. I don't know what Instagram uses for, maybe it's like hashtag Macrofab. It's it's one of those one of those things. One of those. I'm I'm too old to to really understand all this kid stuff. <laughs> We're millennials. We should understand. <laughs> no, I should know all of this, but I don't. Uh, okay, so at some time uh, during the show, we're going to have a secret code word that we'll announce. Uh, if you email us the code word and your address, we'll send you some cool Macrofab swag. The email is podcast at macrofab.com. So. Watch out for the code word. Yeah, and if you have any suggestions that you want to hear about on the show, um, I was about to say, like, see on the show, but it's a podcast, so you don't really <laughs> use your eyeballs. Actually, so that was something that I was going to bring up, because we haven't, well, I shouldn't say that we haven't, I don't know when the last time we discussed this. For those who are listening, we do have show notes that we write every single week that has all kinds of information about what we talk about. If you want to check out the show notes, we have them up at macrofab.com. Slash blog? Yeah, yeah. If if you navigate to the blog, then that'll take you to a place where you can look at all the podcast episodes. So, you know, if we talk about a data sheet, if we have a guest, we have images of all the things we talk about, we have links to everything, stats, yeah. So, I, you know, I can't remember the last time we... We said that. So if, you, if you're interested in following along, instead of having to go and search for it yourself, we have it all written out for yep. you. Yep. And you can actually comment on the podcast there, too. That's right. I think it uses discuss, disquiss. Discuss. I, uh, it's, that's not how you, when you look at it, that's not how you would pronounce it, though. That's how <laughs> you're supposed to pronounce it. Yeah. It's got a Q in it. I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> so we got some cool stuff coming up this week. Parker, you want to Yeah, so about? next Tuesday... Um, Josh will be very happy about this, is we're going to actually calibrate the Space Echo on Facebook Live next Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central Time. Yeah. Or yeah. for other Texans out there, TST. That's Texas right. Standard Time. Texas Time. Yeah. What time is that again? 4 p.m. CST. CST. So, yeah, we'll, we'll be doing the full calibration, stepping through the, uh, the service manual. We'll be using some new test gear. Yep. So you can, uh, you can check it out and, and have some fun with it. Yeah. Cool. What else? Um, earlier this week, I was working on... Well, that's not... I guess that's done what's coming up. Well, okay, yeah. Okay, so <laughs> what, what, what have you been working on, Parker? Um, so earlier this week, my uh, I ordered a particle photon. This is coming off from last week's where I'll, we were talking about Internet of Useful Things. You're right. And I was going to talk about working on the compressor and making it IoT-ified-ish. Right, um, yeah. Well, which we've been working on the compressor a lot recently. Yeah. It's kind of been a fun... Ordeal. Yeah, it's so. Well, the thing about it is, it's very simple. Yeah, and so it's very easy to figure out what you, data you want to get from it. Yeah, basically runtime and um, how much water is it spitting out and all that good stuff. So, so what have you found with the particle? So it's really easy to get it working in terms of like just getting data from the actual hardware device. Um, they got a really cool app called Tinker, which basically lets you control IO pins and see IO pins like just like the raw data mm. that's coming from the pins, which is really cool. You can't really do too much about it. Well, too, not too much about it, but uh, too much with it. It's more like a tech demo. Oh, okay. That they have. Okay. Um, 
But if you want to see if a pin changes state, you yeah. can do and that. And you can like light up the onboard LED with it. Oh, okay. that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then I wrote some test code. I'll, I probably should post the test code uh, on the uh, blog post. But um, basically, it I was I'm basically sampling a pin, and and if it's a high state on the pin, I light up the LED, and it's a low state, I dim the LED, mm-hmm. and I'm also reporting that up with their publish command because they have a huge API. Um, that you can run on the particle photon. Right, which makes it super easy to report data. Yeah, so basically I was just reporting an event yeah. with no data, which is what I want. I'm like, compressor's on, compressor's off. Well, but, but reporting the event, you have a couple of, there's some arguments. You, you can you can report a string yep. with data. With data, right. and then you can give it how long you want it to be active for, which is the TTL time. Right. Um, and you can set the public or private depending on if you want more people to basically look at the data versus you want to have access control, basically. Right, but there's still historical data, right? Yep. It still hangs on to it. Yes. Right. Um, and so that's about as far as I've gotten so far. Um, I, and I started doing a lot of research into, like, what I want to go on from there. Because I'm like, cool, we get that. But you have to go on to – they, they call it the console Mm-hmm. And basically, you can see all your devices on the list, and then you can see their states and all that good stuff, which is cool, except it's kind of useless in terms <laughs> of being actually useful. Sure. Because now you you have all this data, but you don't you can't put it anywhere or push it anywhere. Because what I want to do Who is... Who stores the data? They do. Oh, okay. So when you buy their hardware, you get access to their servers, basically. Gotcha. So it's, um, that's how they make money, is... You buy the hardware and their software because they're actually a software company, mm. or at least that's how they build themselves. Mm-hmm. And then, so yeah, you you. So you don't have to have like a monthly subscription. No, you don't. Okay, okay. But how, can you grab the data back? Uh, yes, they have an API. Well, this is the part I haven't figured out yet, but okay. they have an API that you can a RESTful API, which basically means you can, you know, um, it will tell stuff that it's got data. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm, I might be butchering that. Um, no, it makes sense. Because uh, I don't know too much about that stuff yet. That's one thing I really want to learn about is the software side. And that's the problem I've been having with IoT, like, um, tutorials, I guess is a good word for it, online, is they all, all of them are geared for software engineers or developers. Mm-hmm. Basically, it's their... They more focus on the hardware end than the software end. They're like, here's the API, go nuts with it. But here's how a wire works. And here's how you light up an LED. <laughs> you you like, got that. No, I want to know how to use the API because I have no idea how to use that. Right, that's the hard part. Well, for us, yes. Yeah, right, right, right. Um, we should get those, uh, your, your bu- our buddies from um, the uh, Houston. Um, the Iron Yard? Iron Yard. Yeah. Back iron- on and. Uh, Brian Dorton and Matt Keys. Yeah, we should get them back on because they can probably help us out with this Man, project. We should collab with them and do because uh, yeah. because Brian was doing the IoT uh, barbecue. Yeah, uh, and he had all that down. Uh, yeah, I wonder yeah, if we can fun. get them into the shop and we can do like a Facebook live event of like just figuring that crap out. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, actually, it's funny because uh, our our two, I guess, expertise 
don't really mix. They're where they're very separate. Yep. Uh, so putting us together, they'd probably be like API. That's easy. Here you go. Exactly. Yeah. And they're like, oh, what? The, how does an LED work? What is this thing wire? Yeah. <laughs> what is this, <laughs> how does a how do what is electrons? Yeah. Um, Magnets. How do they work? Exa- yeah. Exactly. <laughs> um, so, but if anyone out there knows of a tutorial, especially one that focuses on the particle photon API, yeah, that's more geared to a hardware engineer, let me know. I really, really like step-by-step examples. Yeah. Like, I hate reading a book and being like, this command does this. I'm like, no, I want to know how it works. Then, sure, then instead of why. just like, yeah, just if you do this, it works. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, the, but a lot of software is like that. If you do this, it works. Kind of. Yeah. Well, I'm not a software guy. So. Well, because a lot of people <laughs> keep pointing me to like, oh, yeah, you need to learn Python. I'm like, I can use whatever coding language you want me to use. Right. My background is C. Mm-hmm. I'll write a Python. Basically, I'll write a Python script and it'll look like C. <laughs> well, they, yeah. Well, you're It'll native, be a C yeah. format style. Right. Like, actually, that's how my Perl code looks. <laughs> well, one of our test jigs, um, uh, one, of our, one of our previous employees, He'll program uh, some of the, 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 the code for the test jig, and he did it all in Python. And I was looking at it, I was like, how the hell does this work? It, it seemed really confusing. And then, and then you know, a couple minutes of studying, it's like, wow, this is actually really easy. But it looks nothing like C. No. So, I don't know. It was, it was um, You can write it to, it depends on what you learn as your background. Yeah. If you learn C as your background, you tend to write programs to mimic that style and though you right. might be using different function calls or different syntax it's got that same style of, of uh um method methodology mm-hmm. behind yeah. it yeah um because i mean i learned assembly first yeah and yeah. so when you actually look at my code a lot of like how i structure functions is <laughs> M- move w commands well, no, all over the that, place but i will do like <laughs> I'll do certain things first in a function sure. before other things. Yeah, well, right. Which you can do, but it doesn't matter on a higher level scale. No. Yeah. I don't know. So, uh, C is kind of globally, I don't know. I'm probably stepping out of my own boundaries here. But in terms of like firmware programming, C is kind of it, right? Yeah, yeah. You actually program the photon or particle or whatever it was. I think particles is a company, photons the device. Okay, right. You actually program it in C. Well, I think it does C plus plus. But it's as well. it's C with a giant wrapper of Arduino functions. On yeah, it. actually, they have a really nice IDE that you can get. They have a web IDE and then a local one. Right, so you and can so write, using you the can local compile one. in the cloud basically. Actually, when you use the local one, it compiles in the cloud as well. Oh, really? Yeah, and oh. it pushes it directly to your device if you want it to. Wow. Yeah, over like you program it over the the the, the ether. That's cool. Yeah, that's really cool. Actually, you know what's, what's super nice about that? One of the things I freaking hate is when you have to, like, you get a new uh, IDE and you have to, like, start linking all this crap together and you have to find tutorials on how to get everything to start. If you have it all in the cloud and it's guaranteed to start, then that's pretty cool. Until their servers go down and your internet doesn't work. Right. Or, or the company goes out of business and they're like, sorry, we no longer support this. Yeah, <laughs> or they shut you out of your garage because you can't open. Your <laughs> you made an angry tweet at the <laughs> you support made an staff. Angry... <laughs> yeah, 
Oh, that's great. So the the uh, the photon, yep. only twenty bucks, right? Yes, that's not bad. No, yeah. So I already started the hardware design. Basically, it's a, bo- a carrier board for that that photon plus an accelerometer plus power, and then basically while that is being built at Macrofab, I'm going to just start doing the server code. Cool. Because all I wanted to do is, given a set of parameters, that I can I can like hard code it into a config file. Email me, like, you know, compressor has been running for thirty minutes. You should probably check on that. Right. Right. Yeah. Stuff like that. I only want like high level alerts, kind of like a SCADA system. Right. Right. Yeah, yeah. You don't care yeah. that you know the PID loop is actually working correctly. You want it when it's not working. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, just flag me. Actually, we were talking earlier this week about um, setting up a pre- preventative maintenance plan uh, and a, a, a suggestion that I, w- I was thinking, let's just use photons, stick them to a machine, and it just pings you and says, hey, you know, you need to change this fluid or you need yeah, to actually, clean this or yeah, something. Yeah, that's actually because um, you brought that up, and I was uh, thinking of using the Amazon Dash buttons. Because you yeah. can hack them yeah, yeah, yeah. and put your own code on them. And I was thinking, what if you put those at all the maintenance locations? And so when you do the maintenance, you just press that button, and it means it just registers that you did it. I mean, sure, if you don't do it and just press it anyways, it, the system doesn't know. Yeah, there's a little bit of honor system. But there's, in yeah, there. there's a little bit of honor system in it, and it says this person pressed this button at that point. So you, you know, know, you know who to track down when, when that – you know the uh, washer burns up or whatever. Right. Yeah, I, I've I've kind of been looking into those those buttons too, hacking them for our uh, one of our supply cabinets because uh, we've talked about it before on the podcast. I've I built a bunch of benches and did a bunch of conveyor stuff for the floor. Now I'm trying to like unify and standardize our benches because some of our operators have the same needle nose pliers and some have a different version, which isn't a problem, but it's like. Everyone should have the same part. And uh, I'm making this cabinet right now, and I was thinking about putting those buttons in front of every item such that the person who manages the cabinet, if they run out, they just press the button and it shows up. Yep, shows uh, up in two days. From yeah, it makes it super easy. Unless someone goes in there and just starts spamming the button. <laughs> <laughs> Another honor system that we need to work out. Yep. Yeah. Well, you can probably filter it. Yeah. Cool. So, Stephen. Yeah. You talked earlier about uh, this test equipment that we got in when we were talking about the space echo yeah so so pat hensley uh is a long-term listener of the podcast in fact i think he said he uh began listening on episode number one yeah so he's been with us from the beginning yeah, he went he, he's gone through the crappy times oh he's gone through all the times uh and he's <laughs> he's he's been a listener for a long time uh so he's the mainstream sales manager over at tektronics and keithley uh, out, out, in, out in Austin, yeah. Um, so he actually let us borrow a Keithley DMM 7510 multimeter, which that is the slickest piece of gear I've ever laid my hands on. Oh, well, at least at the fab. No, ever. <laughs> wow. Well, uh, no, there was a, definitely a, a big pricey piece of equipment that, but I didn't. At, at I, UT? No, at, actually, at UT, it was all, like, old shit. Um, <laughs> yeah. I was working in the oil and gas field. I yeah. got some, like, it was all hand-me-down stuff in terms of, like, I didn't get any brand-new shit. Yeah. But, like, 
some of that equipment that was like ten thousand plus dollars. So though this is the best in my opinion that we've been able to have like you know it's I mean it looks brand new. Oh yeah, it's, it's and killer. It's in, and it came in a bulletproof bench. case. So yeah, that case is it's monster. A big pelican case. Yeah. It's tons like of foam. 80 times bigger than the, the multimeter is. You know, I, I, I thought it was going to be a lot bigger than it was exactly. and a lot That's heavier. I, well, I, I think it's the right weight. I thought it was going to be ginormous given the case it came in. Yeah. So I, I went to Keith Lee's website just to kind of see where this thing sits. Because cause when, I, when I first contacted Pat Hensley about getting one of these, he was like, yeah, here, why don't you use this one? And I was like, oh, okay, cool. And I went to their website. Uh, it, from the website, it looks like this is the top of the line multimeter that they offer. Yep, it's like the the the, the top. So I have a couple specs here. Um, so In, the, the incoming vo- advertisement for Keithley. <laughs> <laughs> Pat did not ask for one, but we're going to give him one. Well, okay, but this is the specs just because I think it's cool. I'm not trying to sell it here. So it's a it's a seven and a half digit. Um, which basically the the voltage sensitivity is down in the tens of nanovolt uh, range. Which is ridiculous. Yeah, my favorite. The the first thing we did was we looped a big loop of wire, and then like depending on the phase off the uh, fluorescent lights. Yeah, you, you picked up pick, tons pick of noise. Up, yeah, you can pick up a lot of uh, uh, actually almost into the millivolt range. Well, yeah, if you have it right. Yeah, fluorescents kind of emit a whole bunch of crap. Yeah. So, so yeah, this thing reads all the way down to the ten nanovolt range. Uh, it has a current sensitivity of one picoamp. So 10 to the negative 12th amps. Yeah, don't cough on your leads. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it'll, it'll, it has a sensitivity for resistance down to 1 micro ohm. And it does four wire sensing, right? Uh, y- yes. Yeah, it has four terminals on the front and some terminals on the back. Um, but it can, yeah, it does four wire if you choose to do that. Uh, so the accuracy across one year is 14 ppm. So I think that's point zero zero. So what's that mean one. over one year? Uh, the, that what, if, that's if, how if, if you have strong the, the calibration is, or the, the same reading will okay. only change by fourteen parts per million in one year for voltage. So if you, I wonder have, if that's actually, you know, this is kind of off way off topic. But it's like, is that because the position of the Earth around the sun? You know, I had a professor at A and M that he discussed that. Different times in the year, different weather conditions, uh, different seasons, basically, has impacts on silicon transistors. Uh, and so uh, also time of day has an impact. So the, the, yeah, that DC accuracy can cause drift. You know, you sh- we should re- make transistors that operate better at night and you can become vampires. <laughs> God. Just make sure they don't sparkle. Oh no, that's not a vampire. That's that's something else. That's something else. Yeah, no, that is not a vampire. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, uh, DC voltage accuracy across one year is fourteen ppm. The current accuracy is sixty ppm, and the resistance is twenty four ppm. Uh, uh, all that means is it's just it's badass. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's not going to really drift accurate. at all. Uh, yeah, very very little. Uh, so I got all of this. Uh, or, or I asked Pat, Pat to borrow this because I have, or I purchased years ago, a DC voltage standard. Yep. Uh, which is basically a device that outputs a very accurate DC voltage, such that you can calibrate other things with it. Yep. So if you want to calibrate, you know, one of your multimeters, you can use this. Voltage references, that kind of stuff. Right. So 
I bought this thing. It, it's an electronic development corporation. The Is that EDC. company still around? They are, but their voltage standard division is not. It got purchased by another company called Cronhite. That's K R O H N H I T E. Cronhite. Are they still in Boston? Uh, I believe so. Yeah. Um, EDC, I believe. No, you know, EDC, I think they're in Washington now, Washington, D.C. Okay. So, same area. Yeah, yeah. So, so Cronhite now owns this, uh, and the model number is the 501J. And basically what it is, it's a 24-bit uh, DC standard that can ha- that has multiple ranges. I love the a- switches on that thing. Oh, yeah, it's got 24 switches on the front. Yeah, for each bit. <laughs> no, no, it's great. You don't actually select a voltage like with a keypad or a potentiometer. You literally have to flip switches you have for bits. To, you, yeah, you'd basically take the voltage. It's up to 10 volts, basically. Uh, right, yeah. Yeah, and so basically you have to calculate what binary number voltage you want. Right, so each switch is, <laughs> like the first switch, if you flip it on, the output is 5.12 volts. The next switch, if you flip it on, it's 2.56, then yeah. 1.28, and all the way down the line. And so if you want to do 5 volts, you can't flip on the first switch because you go over 5, you have to flip up, you have to keep calculating down in binary yeah. what it's going to be. It's it's actually kind of fun. <laughs> so uh, I've had this this voltage standard. I bought it off of eBay, uh, and I bought it knowing it didn't work. I think I paid fifty bucks for it and another fifty to ship it because it's like twelve pounds or something like that. It's and actually it's not as heavy as I thought it'd be either. No, because it doesn't have like a big monster transformer in it. Yeah, it's got a good size one just hanging off the back, but the inside is pretty empty. Yeah. There's not a whole lot going on in a DC no. voltage standard. It's got some pretty awesome custom parts in it, though. Yeah. So the thing is, when I first bought it, it wasn't working. So, of course, I was just, you know, I'm like, I can fix this. So uh, I just started, you know, the thou shalt check voltages. I just started running through voltages. Power supply's dead. That's, like, the best kind of fix ever. Because well, power supplies are one usually better. easy to... Fuse is broken. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that could mean there's something else wrong. But you can usually get it powered up again. Yeah, and especially with old gear, the fuse might have just gone bad itself. Yeah. I've had that tons of times. Um, you just got to put a 22LR casing in there. So, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's the same size as, what, a 3AG fuse? Is that? No, oh, no. No, the, no, the 3AGs are the regulars, aren't they? Yeah, that's the 5mm by 20mm? Yeah. Yeah. You're talking about the big beefy dudes, like the yep. ones that we had in our reflow oven, right? Yeah. The ones no, like no, the size those are, of your those, thumb. No, those are way bigger than 3AG. Yeah? Ah, whatever. Whatever. I don't, I don't, I don't know my fuses that well. Me neither. Um, AGC. AGC. Yeah, those are the it. standard ones. Yeah. The 5x20s. Uh, okay, regardless. The, the power supply, so uh, probing it, I knew it needed a By plus. By the way, don't use, don't use ammo for fuses. There's, there's a Mythbuster episode about that. Ammo? Yeah. You like see the put Mythbuster? a bullet in there? Yeah, you see the Mythbuster episodes? So old school... Cars, because nowadays they use like mini fuses and blade fuses for cars. Wait, you're kidding? What, you're saying they put like twenty-two shells in there or something? Yeah, they, yeah, they did. And uh, they shoot right. When yeah, well, yeah, they explode when you yeah, overamp it. Of course, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, uh, Mythbusters did a whole video about that. No <sighs> shit. Ages ago. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. Don't, don't do, that. do that. That's. It's kind of dumb. <laughs> don't put aluminum foil in there too. There's a reason the fuse is there. What about pennies? That's just a big fusible link at that point. Yeah, well, a fusible link is just a bigger fuse. 
You know, look, I've been in that situation before where I don't have a fuse and I have something that needs a fuse. The simple answer is a thing that goes in a fuse holder is a fuse. So put a fuse in there. Nothing else goes in there. Yeah, I definitely done some really bad fuse uh, field fixes then. Oh, you roll up some aluminum foil and shove it in there? 18 gauge wire. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's smaller than the wire that's going into it and out of it. So it'll burn up first, right? Yeah, that's exactly how it works. <laughs> that's actually how, I don't know if it's nowadays, but it used to be for alternators in cars. You, it, They would use a fusible length, which was basically a piece of wire that was slightly thinner than the wire coming, like the charge coming off your alternator. So it's the first to go. And it had thinner insulation that was specially designed to like not catch on fire, basically. So they designed a fuse. Well, it's called a fusible link. Well, okay. So a few, I think the difference is a fuse is replaceable. A fusible link basically burns the whole thing up. You know, why is it called a fuse if its purpose is to not, not fuse? Yeah, unfuse. To unfuse, <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's the, one of our listeners probably knows that, and yes. they're probably screaming at us right now. Yeah. 75-year-old <laughs> gray beard's like, I remember when we didn't have fuses. Yeah, you just stick your thumb in there. Lick your thumb and stick it in there and see if it worked. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Back on topic. Back on topic, yeah. Uh, the power supply on this DC voltage standard um, had to... It was to, bad. It was bad, yes. It yeah. was bad. I found two voltage regulators that were not voltage regulating. Uh, so one of them is actually a Raytheon part. A Raytheon RC4194TK. So how did you get that part then? eBay. Someone just had old stock? You know, and I checked, NOS. and this was years ago that I bought it. I checked today, there's still more stock of that. It's probably the same seller. You know, and yeah, probably. Uh, it's a plus minus 15 regulator all in one package. But in like the big circle. Yeah, TO, and transistors. Yeah. Not the TO3s, but the, the you know, it's like. It's bigger. The, it's like T19 or something like yeah, that. Yeah, and it's got uh, eight pins or something like that. Uh, and okay, so get this. It has this funky heat sink that goes on top of it. Uh, it's like this copper, I, I don't know. It, 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 well, it looks like they the basically took a copper pipe yeah. and they they cut it to length. And expanded And then it. they put something inside and then expanded it and it had sharp edges, which poked it all out. Right. So And then it kind of looks like um, a Chinese finger trap. Yeah. Kind of. Oh, oh, if you take a Chinese finger we'll take trap a picture of and it. you squish it together, yes, it yes, looks yes, like yes, that. Yeah, yeah. It looks like that. Yeah. So... Whoever whoever first manufactured this, uh, or the EDC or whatever, EDC, they, were, yeah. they glued the heat sink to the top of this thing. So I was able to extract it from the board, but I couldn't get the heat sink off the old <laughs> regulator. But here's the thing. The heat sink is symmetric on both sides. Yep. So I just flipped it over with the old regulator on it and shoved it on the yeah, new one. Yeah, you even left the leads on it, too. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So I have a new regulator. That has a heat sink hanging off of it that has glued to the end of it the old regulator. The carcass. Yeah, the of, carcass. <laughs> of the old part. Hey, the way I think about it is it's more metal, it's more mass, it's probably dissipating more heat, right? Uh, probably. Yeah. Um, and then the, the the other regulator I replace is not that special. It's an LM7805, but yeah. it's in a TO3 package. package yeah. So I, I think that's 5 watts. Whereas the regular TO220 is one watt dissipation. Yeah. And, I, you know, I looked up the, the, the spec it's sheet. It's got a pretty gnarly heat sink on it as well. But it's a normal, like, extruded aluminum 
Yeah, it's probably it, it, it looks big, but I bet you it's not that great. Yeah. Um, but but the whole device dissipates forty watts, so I really have no clue where the forty watts is coming from or going to. But uh, that's what they say it dissipates. Oh, you mean that's your the entire voltage standard takes forty watts? Yeah, as a, as a whole. Probably those ginormous op amp custom op amps that it has. Yeah, yeah. They're like the si- they're like two inches by two inches. Yeah, they're like molded <laughs> plastic bricks. Yeah, with uh, with a whole op amp circuit in there. Uh, and it's funny because if there's can, all of those. It'd be really cool to get one of those. Yeah. And then take that part and then see if we can get like a 3D x-ray of it to see what's actually inside of there. Uh, a UA741. That's just like. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and it's, it's just, just inside package. there. Yeah. And then, they, and then the price is like 50 bucks an op amp. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's probably some like custom. It probably uses discrete parts. Oh, I guarantee it's discrete. Discrete transistors and yeah. resistors and stuff inside of it, and then they just... They goop m- it inside of a plastic enclosure. Yeah, yeah, but they're, but it, they're huge, and there's yeah. like six of them inside this now. Um, and it's funny because they're all around the one component that, that does matters. everything, and it's just a Zener diode. Uh, but it's, like, it's a special Zener diode. It's a Zener diode that's high-precision and low-temperature drift and all of that stuff. So that, that diode... This is this was built back in the 80s. So do you actually, think, I think it's the 90s, but yeah. Okay, so do you think they laser trimmed that diode, or did they just test a lot till they got to oh, the one that they, they needed? Oh, they lot binned it. Lot binned it. Oh, guarantee they lot binned that. Yeah, no, I, I, that would have been like super cutting edge. Yeah, back laser then. trim. Yeah, uh, I, can you laser trim a Zener? I you can laser trim why you a couldn't. resistor. Yeah, but I mean the actual like the Zener effect is based off of the doping, so I don't know how you, you might just, be able you to just laser it. it off, or you can, or you can just use an impactor and impact more crap into it. Oh yeah, just keep blasting it with stuff. Maybe I have no idea. Yeah, this is way out of our field. <laughs> I studied semiconductor physics in uh, at A and M. I took one class. <laughs> I'm an expert now. No, I took. <laughs> That was my main focus. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. It's probably a lot then. There's probably a way to do it. Yeah. Uh, but I, I can almost guarantee they're lot bend. Regardless, the thing works. End of yeah. story. That's that's where we're at. And we it did works. actually start a little bit of the calibration today just messing with it. Well, and the thing was, I tried calibrating it months ago with a, a buddy of mine has a really nice fluke meter. The big one that... It, I don't know. I don't remember the, the model number. It's expensive. The, the Luke dollar signs. <laughs> yeah, right, right. A fluke dollar signs, I mean. And uh, it measures down to tens of microvolts. So that's nothing. That's 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 good. Yeah, that's just that's for a handheld meter. That's pretty damn good. Uh, and when I measured with that fluke, this thing was fairly good on. Yep. When I'm measuring now with this Keithley, uh, it's... Not bad, but it's not great. Oh yeah, it's definitely way out of spec, though. Yeah, because most of the spec is, you know, like for the high, the highest range, like the five point one two volts. Uh, the acceptable tolerance is plus minus twenty five microvolts. Well, when I put it on there, it's two hundred and seventy microvolts out. Yeah. Now that's only two hundred and seventy microvolts. It's not much, but it's way out of spec. Yeah. Luckily, every single switch has a pot assigned to it. Yeah. You just turn the pot, and that's it. It's, and we were seeing those when you adjust the, the 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 potentiometer, the trim pot, basically in there. Yeah, is it has some lag. It's, it's so there's definitely some capacitance on the front end. Right. Now I was thinking, what if we put a load 
a small load on uh, across the the leads basically. Yeah. Just to kind of keep that capacitance edge off. Have some have enough current flowing that it just drains quickly. Yeah. So that way, when you're adjusting it, you have more feedback, a faster feedback. Because that was actually the thing we were noticing is you adjust it. And you're like, okay, okay. And then you would stop, and then it would just shoot right past your spot. Yeah, that's the bane of most calibration. Yeah. So I'm thinking if we put like a, like a, you know, 100K across the leads. So the, the rated output current on this is 50 milliamp. So it can actually push some, some juice. So I wonder if, that, if the voltage that you set it to changes depending on load then. Or does it have feedback for that? I'm sure it has feedback. You should test that. Yeah, yeah. Well, because right now I have the output of this directly into the multimeter, and I check the input impedance. It's 10 mega ohm. So there's nothing, nothing flowing. <laughs> a, couple ad- a couple electrons, that's it. Right, right. <laughs> there's, there. the, there's absolutely nothing flowing effectively. So, uh, yeah, we, sh- we should put a load on it. The thing is also we started calibrating it, but we weren't using the voltage sensing. Yeah. Uh, so for those who haven't dealt with this before, if you want a really accurate result measuring voltage, you have to cancel out the effects of the cables that you use to connect devices together. And one of the ways to do that is to use a four-wire system. So two of the wires are actually have the, the current flowing through it. And then other two wires, you place them as close to the body of the load that you're measuring, and then you can offset the uh, the, the uh, you know, effects of the wires. There's probably a good article out there about that. Yeah, I bet you there is. We should yeah. find one and put it in the... In I know the uh, uh, Dave Jones has done good videos on that. Okay, we'll too. find a video and post that. Yeah, yeah. Because I'd like to watch a video more about that kind of stuff. Yeah, uh, and I would like to use that. My goal is to make short wires, four of them, and they're basically the output connects as with as short of wires to the meter as possible coming tomorrow or yeah coming tomorrow and like the meter is actually plugged directly into it <laughs> it's inside the yeah. <laughs> standard yeah yeah so um yeah we'll be we'll be playing with that uh and we'll have a pretty badass voltage standard after this yeah i, I mean it wait. wasn't bad before but now it's gonna be killer yeah well, and, 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 and i trust fixed, the and I, you fix the 10 to the negative Five, six, switch. One of the oh yeah, yeah. I mean, a long story, but effectively, my electronic shop. Beer on it. Huh? Spilt beer on it. Oh, actually, kind of close. My my electronic <laughs> shop can leak. Uh, That's when there's an understatement. When, when there's century. a lot of rain, and recently there was a lot of rain in Houston, and I got a, a, some splashes inside the device. And uh, so uh, that kind of seized up one of the switches on the front. But just re-soldering it seemed to fix it. So. Yeah, it's a little twitchy still, but at least it works. I bet you it also jacked with the calibration. That's why we're having to calibrate it now. Yeah. So We'll have a pretty cool voltage standard to test other stuff with. Yep. I'm looking forward to actually using it for uh, voltage references. That's what I want to use it for. Oh, yeah. So, uh, and we were mentioning earlier that we're going to be doing a uh, a live calibration of the Space Echo, which is a project that's been going on for far too long. 
Uh, yeah, it, well, it's been done. It just hasn't been calibrated yet. Yeah, yeah. No, we got we replaced everything. Everything in there. And all we have to do is turn some pots. And so I, that was another reason why I asked Pat for uh, the multimeter, uh, is so that we can kind of use it as an excuse to do the space echo <laughs> and just be done with it. And we're gonna have a piece of gear from the seventies that is calibrated with something that can read nanovolts yes so it's way overkill but it'll be fun and we'll be doing that live once again that's tuesday at 4 p.m cst next week yep on facebook on yes on facebook and there'll probably be some tweets and crap about that too so oh yeah yeah we'll we'll be we'll be letting everyone know so uh and i just want to say thanks pat for everything you've done yep and for getting that out to us uh so it's gonna be a bunch of fun Okay, RFO time. That's right. We went a little long on all that stuff, but that's fine. Because um, that stuff's, I don't know. It was a lot of fun adjusting the potentiometers in that thing today. We'll probably do a bit more tomorrow. Yeah. Um, so on the RFO, rapid fire opinion. Mm-hmm. We have three articles, like usual. Um, the first one is reverse engineering space invaders sound chip found on Hackaday. The second one is sci-fi, or sci five. Raises $8.5 million for licensable custom microcontrollers, which was found on uh, VentureBeat. And then crashed advertising sign reveals face recognition command line logs found on Twitter. Hmm. That one's going to be very interesting because you mm. probably haven't seen that yet. I have not seen that. I, I, I want really to get to that one. <laughs> I was really hoping Josh would be here because he'd be like, oh, Really? That's, um, that's exactly my, what he I would wanna, sound like. Yeah, especially <laughs> how I want to, my opinions on that one. Uh, but the first one is Reverse Engineering Space Invaders Sound Chip on Hackaday. And this is by, um, actually, our friend Al Williams wrote the article. Right, yeah. He was a guest on, on the podcast. podcast. Um, and the guy who did this is Ken Sheriff, who's a renowned hacker, hardware guy. Enthusiast. It, that's... Putting it lightly, I would put it. Yeah. Um, uh, well, especially if you're doing what he did. Yeah. So basically, you're kind of psycho. He, 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 but I he love caps it. lots of chips and, and reverse engineers them by just looking at the hardware. The, like I, the actual. He, he looks at the metal. Metal. Yeah. That's ridiculous. Um, so the amazing. chip is the 76477 complex sound generation chip, which was used in Space Invaders. It was used in. Lot of early um, arcade, arcade stuff, yes. synthesizers, all this stuff. So he, he takes high res pictures, yeah, and then like ridiculously high res. Reverse engineers the gate logic that this how this works. So and, he doesn't, he doesn't out go the theory of how that chip works too. Right, right. So so it ends up kind of being a little bit educational, but a lot of just oh wow, this is cool kind of stuff. Um, he's he's not going down to 100%. He doesn't do every single transistor. He'll do, like, giant this, blocks. Yeah, this, this area over here does is the VCO. Right, right. Of the synthesizer right. chip. The voltage-controlled oscillator. But the cool thing is, too, is he'll take an image of a single transistor and kind of dissect it. Yes. Uh, like, how they built it. Right. Like, there's some jumper areas that they basically used a very... Um, dope piece of silicon mm-hmm. so that it wouldn't interfere with the metal, but you, they could still flow electrons a different direction. Yeah. It's kind of funky stuff. And Well, he also shows, like, this is, if you ever see this, this is an NPM, and this is a PNP. 
he just by looking at the metal, he could tell you what type of transistor. That's yeah. so cool. So, so that's really cool. The link yeah. will be down below, of course. And, and actually, on this one, that was almost all BJTs on the inside of this. There wasn't a whole lot of CMOS, if I remember I right on this. I don't remember. I think it's old enough that, that it was like all BJT. Well, this would technology. be probably all MOS. At that time? Or not. not and MOS. MOS. <laughs> Namas, Namas, because um, this would be what mid mid early seventies. So, so well, CMOS existed then, so it might be, have been CMOS, but but that was knowing still Atari, who who I I don't know if Atari developed the chip. I think TI made the chip, but okay. Atari back then, especially the Atari twenty six hundred, they they used NMOS. Did they really? Yeah, so the 6502 or 6507, the Riot chip and the TIA inside the Atari 2600 are all NMOS. Hmm. There's no CMOS in there because it was cheaper to make. Oh, yeah. Because you only have um, basically one transistor design for everything. Right. It makes it bigger, but, but back that, then that it didn't, didn't matter. matter. As much. You, you're, yeah. your it was going to be big made, anyway. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because your technology was not, uh, was not small. Right. There was a trade-off there. Yeah, so we'll we'll have the uh, the article posted up on the on the uh, on the show notes. But really cool stuff. I think we might have talked about this stuff before. There was a gosh, there's a website. I think it's what's the processor that's in the uh, the NES, the Nintendo Entertainment Six Five O Two. I think it's called Visual Six Five O Two. Is the website? It actually is a simulation of the processor, mm. and it shows it shows every layer of the processor, and you can run. Uh, code on it basically well you can run like this goofy simulation but it but it shows it shows every transistor turning on and off it's freaking cool that's cool i think we talked about something yeah i like think we talked before. about that too we've had a couple of these they're they, they never get old no, they don't. <laughs> okay what's next right. sci-fi raises 8.5 million dollars for licensable uh custom microcontrollers so we've talked about these guys before yeah um they basically made um the Risk V, which is a free open instruction set for microcontrollers uh, and, and architecture stuff, because um, usually you have like an ARM instruction set or the you have the Intel instruction set, mm -hmm. but those are closed source. Right. I mean, you can get access to them and know what they are, but you don't know how it's implemented under the hood. This, they, this is all the way, you know metal level yeah, on this metal level of how the instruction set is implemented. The uh, the uh, ISA is what they call it, um, and they. What was interesting about this article was, um, sure, you can open source that, but how do you make money doing this? Because they're getting investment in this kind of stuff to do this stuff, and it's like Linux, where Linux is open source. Right. How do you make money on it? Right. Was it a Fedora? And there's a. I think Ubuntu is trying to make money on it too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's basically you sell, cut, you know, customizing it. And support, mm -hmm. so that's what they are doing. Oh, that's cool. And they'll probably sell the hardware as well because um, they have the Hi-Fi High Five One, which is a development board that sells for fifty nine bucks. Okay, and they chose the Arduino format. Which well, I guess is fine because you have all the third-party support in terms of hardware that plugs into it. Well, and, and, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if they're hoping that there is a community that helps build 
all the background infrastructure. Oh, make it work with the Arduino IDE. Well, yeah, right. Yeah. Um, uh, gosh, what the the, the sixty eight hundred processor, sixty eight oh five. I can't remember. The, 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 it's just the most one of the most popular processors. The Which, sixty sixty eight K. Is that it? I can't remember. My Motorola. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. The sixty eight K. I can't remember. There was a, there was a project that that happened recently where some guys used that for as their main processor, and it's old as hell. And someone asked them, "Why'd you use it?" And they're like, "Because there is so much code written by no, the community." You're thinking about eighty fifty one. That's right. That's right. I shouldn't. Yeah, eighty fifty one. Yeah. And they're like, That's "There's actually, millions uh, of lines of code." Uh, Silicon Labs microcontrollers have an eighty fifty one core. You know what's funny though is. One, uh, this is kind of a, a side beef, I guess, with, with Silicon Labs on this, is one of their main things that they, they advertise about for the, the reason why they use the 8051 is, oh, there's a lot of code that runs on it. I'm like, sure, but if you have the source, what, if you have the source code anyways, it's C. It'll compile to whatever platform you, you point it to. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So it doesn't have to run eighty fifty one. It can be a sixty eight. They got they got a good deal on the masks for all the eighty fifty one. Well, no, that that architecture <laughs> is open for the Silicon Labs eighty fifty one. Yeah, eighty fifty one is right. A... They got a good deal. It's free. <laughs> I guess that's true. I guess when you say it got a good deal, I assume they handed money over. Eh, whatever money exchanged hands somewhere. It has to, but re- regardless, well, no, because I think the patents have expired. That's why the eighty fifty one is kind of grown back in terms of this kind of stuff right because it's free free yep but so is the risk five uh by sci-5 yeah but but it's kind of weird like okay i get it it's cool to have open source everything and as engineers like to be able to understand everything down to the fundamental operation that's great but at the same time like what does this do for me oh yeah well it's, like, it's who more, cares? It's more of a security. I think nowadays it's more of a security thing. Where if you know all the hardware down to the gates, you know there's no binary blobs that can have a back door or anything like that. Like if you made a a um, or an instruction set that doesn't have a back door built into it. So basically, you can design a network switch or a router or whatever that doesn't have basically a built-in backdoor that you can't get rid of. So it's trusted because you know everything that goes on. That's the, that's the idea behind Linux. You don't have well. to trust someone else. That's Yeah, that's the idea behind Linux is since there's so much, everything's open, anyone can look at it and find issues. Nobody can hide crap in there. Exactly. Whereas that's actually hardware security issues are actually it's a big deal nowadays because it happens yeah actually we were going to talk about this last week but it was kind of not our deal i guess um because intel had a hardware is it a hardware issue i can't remember something with their um um i think northbridge had a a memory issue what was it doing? Now I'm I'm stretching trying to remember what <laughs> it is. Trying to remember what it, the yeah. Northbridge was what sniffing data and sending it. 
Because that uh, would no, be... no, it's like overloading something, and they were able, and someone was able to get access to some sub part of the system. Oh, it was it was just a insecurity, and someone could backdoor crap. Yeah, but it's like, like all it... Intel chipsets for like the past like twelve or fifteen years <laughs> had this thing in it. But it's like that. Uh, remember, or maybe you've seen this, maybe you haven't. Like you used to be able to break into Windows 95 by going through, like... The printer The print interface. menu system. you could, like, for some reason, print the login screen. Right. Yeah. You could print the login screen, and then if you want to, like, help or something like that, it would just bypass the password. Yeah. And that, that would make the secret code word. Oh. Bypass by, the password. Bypass the password. Yeah, I like That's that the one. secret code. If you send that into podcast at macrofab.com, we'll send you some sweet gear. Yep. So, uh, <laughs> that's that. Yeah, that's that. Okay, the next one. I want to hear about this because I, I, okay. this, this is fresh to me, too. Okay. Um, I actually did, I did the most amount of research about this one, too, in terms of, like, just reading what other people are saying about it. So, you mean you did more than, like, a minute? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I did two minutes worth of, of research. Um, crashed advertising sign reveals facial recognition command line logs. The actual title is code, but it's not code. Okay. Basically, there's a... I can't remember where it was at. It's like... Uh, it's somewhere in Europe, okay, that this happened. Um, there's a... Like a pizza place or something had a a advertising sign that was a LCD screen. Okay. And the ad crashed, and on the desktop was a command line log. And it shows all the stuff of in, uh, facial recognition. Like, it would say stuff like... Adolescent male not smiling, and then like next person would be like adolescent male smiling, and then it would give like average heights and all this other information in there. Wait, it was data mining people, people who looked at this yeah. ad? Yeah. Oh. And it wasn't keeping uh personal data or anything, but it was just like, you know, random data. Just statistics, and so, yeah. And so I was looking through, and this was on Twitter, I saw it. And so I was looking at all the replies, and apparently the company that developed that software, or one of the guys replied, basically. I don't know if it was the company replied. But someone involved But someone in said it. this is the, or involved, uh, yeah. One way or another. One way or another. Um, and the company is Karios, K-A-R-I-O-S. Um, and if, so if you go to their website, they have all their information about what they do. And it's it actually makes... From a business standpoint, this is, like, amazing. So what it, what their software does is it can do in-store analytics, live heat mapping of your store. You can do VIP treatment for customers. So, like, if, if they have a customer or someone that's, like, wandering your store matches a certain profile of how they look at stuff. Then they can target that person? They can, you can, your, your employees can go and target that person to make a sale. Hmm. Um, uh, it's just it, like it's amazing. I, I see like videos they train and on a guy I mean, and he's not wearing is, shoes and they're like, "Go sell shoes to this man." <laughs> actually, no. That's actually one thing they say is is they they call intelligent digital signage is if they, you know, a kid isn't going to want to buy shoes, but if you if you say adolescent male or kid is in front of your sign. Show the latest video game that's in his age brackets. Huh. And, and then if it's some, like, you know, soccer mom, oh, these shoes. 
that's kind of scary. But at the same time, if you think about but it. But it makes like, a lot of sense because oh, we yeah, see this absolutely. all the time. It totally on, does. But there's people like freaking out about this online. Well, you know, it's like, okay, sure, you're freaking out about it. But digital media online has been doing this since the beginning. Yeah. Amazon. This is not new. And Amazon does it the the most like it will like take your recent stuff you searched for and say well you didn't like that one but what about this one that's in the same category right, and right, people right, bought right. this and that's actually if you were at a store and you're looking at something and then if an advert popped up and said well you're taking a long time to look at this what about this product that's kind of the same but it's slightly different for these reasons that you're being injected into an algorithm somewhere. Well, no, is is from that standpoint though, it kind of makes it so that you can do a, a better decision about a product. Right. They're always if, learning. If you about can do you. it that way, at least though. Well, okay. So when I first saw this, I was like, you know, I don't want to be on a videotape. I don't want people looking at me. And then I realized, like, every store you go into, you're on you a security are on camera. Security camera. It, shoot, like if you go to like Burger King. You can see the security camera of yourself. <laughs> of yourself, yeah. Uh, so, I mean, we've already, we've surrendered our right to be. Well, I, I put it this way, is if you're in a public space, at least in America, at least, if you're in a public space, you can be recorded. Yeah. Okay. And That's if you're on new. someone's private property, they should be able to record you because it's their space. Right. So if it's a private establishment recording you, What's your? I mean, there's of course there's stipulations like changing rooms. Yeah, I was about to say we're we're getting we're getting way on the edge here. (laughs) You're on the edge. There's there's definitely walls and boundaries you have to put up. Right. Like you shouldn't be recorded, you know, taking a pee in the bathroom or in a changing room or anything like that. Yeah, 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 whatever. Um, (laughs) It's recording those boundaries. Recording you peeing and it's like that guy probably needs paper towels. (laughs) (laughs) That sells it to him. Yeah, sells it to him. Yeah. Um, oh, like in McDonald's, be like, you, it sounds like you're taking a longer bowel movement than usual. You, you should, like, you know, eat a salad uh, and, like, recommend the salad at McDonald's instead of the burger. <laughs> we're, we're heading that direction. I guarantee you. Oh, yeah. We're heading that direction. Makes dietary See, decisions. Here's, here's the one, uh, and uh, there's a lot more than this, <laughs> but this is the one that I thought of that, like, really kills me. One of these days, there's going to be eye tracking. And when it comes down to putting an advertisement on your screen, it will pause the advertisement unless you look at it. Yeah, because that will happen. Because, well, there's already eye tracking. It's just where it's at, like existing. But I see, I know what you're saying, because when, like, if I'm on YouTube and there's an ad that pops up and it's an ad I can't skip in five seconds, I just mute it. Oh, and yeah, go to another go tab, to another tab and, I'll, yeah. and I'll go back in 30 seconds and right. then wa- rewind the video and yeah. play it again. Eventually, yes, there'll be like it'd be like a web the webcam that's on top of your monitor. It'll be built into your monitor, and then you can't access YouTube unless YouTube says, you know, add verification, drink Mountain Dew, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> ingest Doritos, <laughs> ingest Doritos, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Have a Monster Energy drink. <laughs> you need to be fueled for gaming. <laughs> Watch this 30 second ad about donkeys. <laughs> donkeys? What? It's the wheels have come off the podcast exactly. finally. Yeah, right there. 
<laughs> yeah. Cheers. <laughs> Chris here is just like, yeah, donkeys. donkeys yeah, yeah that, go. that, that'd be a good one there, Parker. <laughs> so we're getting spied on. That's the that's the bottom line. But not necessarily. Oh, I got it. Since this is a pizza place, if it's a fat person, it shows like a greasy like pepperoni pizza. Yeah. But if it's a skinny person walks by, it goes. Here's a salad. <laughs> Go away. Go away. No, it's like a salad. <laughs> Not fat enough. Because, <laughs> I mean, I if I walked it, by a pizza place and saw a salad, I'd be like, eh, whatever. It, a nice it, greasy pepperoni pizza? Oh, yeah. It kind of reminds me of, like, remember in Back to the Future when Marty goes to the future, Back to the Future 2, when he goes to the future and he sees Jaws and, like, Jaws, like, comes down and, like, attacks him or whatever, like the 3D Jaws. Oh, remember yeah, that? yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, like, if it could detect that he was a good candidate to eat the you know jaws to eat, I that kind of crap. It's coming. Just wait. Yeah, that's coming. Yeah, just wait. Especially with you know our our computer phones that we keep in our pockets. Computer phones. That's so right. So now it's even easier because that's you know it's radiating personal data all the time. Oh yeah. No, give up. Give <laughs> up. Completely give up if you don't want. Well, no. There's if you there's, don't want to be known by people, you got to go live in the some mountains. There's certain level of privacy. <laughs> That should be understood, but I don't see why people are so freaking out because it's it's all anonymous. Sure. At least this system does. So it's not like Stephen Craig looked at you know this you know the book of I don't know, um, what books do you read? Um, Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like Cat in the Hat on the shelf. For oh, eight Cat in the Hat. Thank you. Yeah, that's that's exactly. <laughs> I read that, that every night minutes. before bed. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> <laughs> he looked at it for eight minutes. <laughs> My wife actually reads that as I fall asleep. And then he glanced at. Uh, <laughs> what's it is called? this some kind of like weird security camera at a yeah. Barnes and Nobles or yeah, something? Barnes like and Nobles. Yeah. Actually, that gets way creepier. Because why would I be reading Cat in the Hat at a Barnes and Nobles? <laughs> we need to finish this podcast. Yeah, we need to finish no, this podcast. needs. To, this is done. Um, I actually think this kind of data collection is interesting. Yeah. Um, especially the heat map stuff. That's actually, I'm way more interested in when that. You, when you say heat map, do you mean like there's more people in this section? Yeah, that of the look store? at this stuff for longer and then no one's paying attention to this display. So it's like a giant 3D histogram. Yeah. And it's actually, websites use that all the time to figure out what kind of marketing works, what kind of colors grab people's attention. Right. So, you know. Macy's does it. What what style of clothing are people gravitating towards more? Yes, or or not even just styles, but how is the display set up? And so they can A/B test. Yeah, A/B testing is huge in online marketing, but it's kind of been a really hard thing to do in physical brick and mortals, uh, mortal, <laughs> brick and mor- mortar. Your brick and mortal stores. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the yeah. Wheels, you know where I'm going the with this. The wheels are falling off so Way hard off. right now. They're, about, they're like 10 minutes they're, behind yeah, us. So far behind. <laughs> <laughs> you want to sign us yeah, off? We're, we're, yeah, we're, no, they, we'll, we'll be done with this then. one. <laughs> so that was the MacroFab Engineering Podcast. This was episode 67. We were your hosts, Parker Dillman. And Stephen Craig. Later, everyone. Take it easy. <laughs>